0: So, if you notice, Viticus ends with some very strong words and very challenging words about the consequences for failing to live up to holiness and the rules of holiness. Those consequences are not always pleasant. And when we get to Ba'midbar in the end of the journey, we get similar statements of the severe consequences again. And then at the end of the Deuteronomy, again, before entering the land as the lights pass between the two mountains, again, the warnings of the, social, the catastrophic social consequences of failing to live up to holiness. So today, we get some pretty challenging policies. That every seven years, the land must have Sabbaths of rest from cultivation. That every seven times seven years, there must be a jubilee year, which Israelites shall neither reap nor sow. And they must proclaim release throughout the land to all inhabitants thereof, and provide for the return of all lands to those set out by allotment at the end of the Torah, the original tribal beginning parody, and maybe what seems like the simplest of all injunctions, to not wrong another but to fear your God. And in these very, very challenging policies, we see echoes back to the Holiness Code that we've been reading for several weeks that come earlier. You shall not oppress your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not charge unfair interest. We should treat an animal and remember when we take the life of an animal that its we don't make life. We can own flesh, we can own meat, but we don't make life and neither are we allowed to take it without understanding that it comes in, from God and we must experience gratitude. We have for sharing earlier, but here we have an utter reset. As Can you imagine being ready to enter the land and then being told, okay, you're going to be agrarian, but now you're not gonna be able to work the land one year out of seven. It's one thing to be told in the holiness code that comes earlier, you know, don't oppress a fellow. You know, pay them a little bit more than the minimum. If you have a kinsman in straits, help them out. It's another thing now to be told, you know what that means? That means you're commanded to redeem them. That means you're commanded to take kinsman who's fallen on hard times into your care and basically take care of them, and then set them up to be released. That's a much different level. So we have two phases of holiness. We have uh, the sermonic phase. Inspiration, aspiration, encouragement. Don't you want to be holy? Let's take it up a notch. You want to share what you have. You want to be grateful to God. You don't want to oppress. And now we have serious social policies that, frankly, I doubt too many people want to do. Imagine you're at a poker game, and you start off, and everybody's even. And then along the, along the way, let's say it's a 24-hour poker game. About six hours in, some, some people have really, really had a hard time. Those who have more will all give a little bit so they can stay in the game. That's the earlier part of Leviticus. Now we get once in a generation, once in your lifetime, you know what's going to happen? Even if you built up the biggest pile you're going to lose it all, because we're all going to start back at the beginning. The earlier part is aspiration. That's the holiness code. The end of Leviticus is, I don't want any piece of that, and I don't want to do that. And there is such a discomfort with the command there for social justice and also for the commandments around ecology that really you say, maybe for another time. And that's when God says, actually, if you don't do, keep these policies your society will self-destruct. So nowhere in Torah is it more evident that we need to stretch ourselves to holiness and to go to something that feels like it is surely out of reach. And then think about what comes pretty much at the end of the Torah. The Torah is not in heaven. The Torah is down here for us below. And often when I read that, I think that means like, oh my gosh, it's so holy, and it's so beautiful, and uh, my living it is so imperfect, but, you know, it's such a holy document, who am I to understand it? But what if it actually means, I want the Torah to be out of reach, right? Because when you say something like, I've got to make peace with my worst enemy, when you say something like, you know... It was my idea that instead of taxis, we could all just get other people to, like, drive each other around, and I'm only going to collect a few billion dollars in kamesh. Like, that, I mean, that was my idea, you know, and I, sh- I should get to keep all of that, the idea that I can't. That, you know what, that Torah is in heaven. And now think about it. The Torah that actually is not in heaven is the one that has consequences, and it's the policies that give us the greatest discomfort, that we want to be a Torah that how could we even strive for? It is out of reach. Asked to be down here below. So, of course, sharing your produce and your bounty. Sure, I should feel more gratitude. I should acknowledge the role luck has played in what I have. The role privilege has played in what I have. Thank you, Rabbi, for reminding me. Thank Dora for reminding me. I want to be reminded, yeah, you're right. The role that the Levites, the public servants around us play in the quality of my life those school teachers, those nurses, they probably aren't paid enough. I've got to be more grateful for Yemen. I and that's that's why I come. That's religion. But honestly, that's not enough. That's not dayenu. Sure, holding a grudge isn't a good thing. Sure, helping a kinsman in dire straits should be a good thing. Loving my neighbor, I could do more of that. I should not oppress another by paying as little as possible. I should not contribute speech into their demoralization. I should be grateful. But not... I have to give up what I have. Not, I can't pass it on if I have accumulated so much. So here we have, I don't know what the etymology is, someone will tell me afterward a punchline. But at the end of each book, we kind of get the punchline, which is, if you don't do the hard part, the part that's out of reach, the consequences will be catastrophic. No way I'm going to take this kinsman in. These should not be actual policies these should be up for discussion. These should be um, incorporated in a small way. But now we get if you don't do them, you're actually accountable. Real accountability, and not just individually, but collectively. So this is pretty stark. It's pretty much no way. It's pretty much I don't want to do it. So let's just think of one example. It's already aspiration in the earlier part of Levitic to talk about tithing, which is, you know what the real problem is? The real problem is people aren't giving enough, or what they give is not the best of what they give. The idea that, are they giving the full 10%? Are they giving the extra 10% for the poor? When they bring their 10% and they give it in produce, is it really their best, like they're commanded? Or is it the damaged stuff? When they say, the damaged stuff is all I got this year, do you believe them? Do you really believe them? Everyone's comfortable having those discussions. Should the rich pay more in taxes? Let's talk about percentages and progressive tax rates, right? But you know what no one seems to want to talk about in this country because it's too much in heaven? It's that if I have $20 billion, can I pass it on to my kids? No one wants to talk about the Jubilee reset. Wait a second. I built up this fortune. I should be able to pass this wealth on to, to my children. Or do you think like Warren Buffett, right? I don't know. How much enough is enough for a kid? Is giving someone $10 million enough for a kid? Is giving someone $50 million? Is that, is that enough? Is that enough of a trust fund? I'm talking about the real money. And I'm telling you, the people with the real money, the billions, they're very happy to talk about progressive tax rates. They're very happy if the limit we get to is talking about, well, can you explain to me more about these hedge funds and whether they should be paying a different rate? Tell me a little bit more about corporate taxes. Darn, we have to go to another 2%. They don't want to talk about the passing on of the Jubilee. Stop it resetting so that the society can be helped. I think about this because I think, how many conservative synagogues are there? I should know the number offhand, but 600 conservative synagogues, Missordia synagogues in the world? Think about the billionaires. What if they say, I am not going to turn this money over to the government. I'm not going to say, yes, I I have $20 billion, and I... You're going to only allow me to give $100 million to each of my three heirs. How dare you? I'm not going to turn the rest of that money over. I'm going to give it to charity. Sounds like a great idea. I'll take that call on behalf of the conservative movement. If there are six 600 conservative congregations, how much would it take for each one to get, I don't know, three or $400,000 a year from an endowment fund? Right? Would it take $10 billion? Oh, that's in heaven, Rabbi. We couldn't possibly get $10 billion. What if all the billionaires were told, sorry, you can only pass on 300000000 million. You're only coming right? And, you know, and, or, well, I don't want to destroy my company. Fine, we'll take that stock. A stock could be put in a fund, and that fund, so the company continues. This whole society would change if once in a generation there actually was a reset of the real money. And the discussions that we're having along the way We realize our distraction from the structural change we need to have. Holiness doesn't just include what is comfortable, what is inspirational. It includes what you want to keep in heaven and not allow into your society, what you don't want to allow into your heart and discussion tables. Shabbat Shalom.